session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulaqui, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. So I wanted to start the show today on a topic that um, came to me looking at something on, on Instagram. Someone um, had posted a story, uh, Ronak, who lives in Australia, and she was posting something interesting about her experience of when she talks to someone that she's just met, and they're both wearing a mask, and... You know, you talk for some time, and she was saying there's a sense that you, uh, or a way that you fill in the person's face. You can't see below where, what the mask is covering, but there is a way you fill that in uh, and kind of questioning, well, how do we do that, or what is it that we use to fill that in? And then also um, the, the feeling we can have when sometimes they do take their mask off, and we see that what we had imagined is not what was there. It could be very different from what was there. And uh, I've had that experience, and a lot of people have talked about that um, experience of seeing people wearing a mask where you can't see half or more than half of their face. Maybe you never do, or then you eventually do in that experience. And so um, I don't have exact answers for those kinds of questions of how do we, we fill it in, but I think these are interesting questions to consider. And of course, not just in this specific context of filling in the mask, so to speak, um, but how we as humans, our brains are filling in the gaps all the time, constantly. Even in our experience moment to moment, right now I'm, I'm looking in front of me and I might think I see everything I, I'm seeing or I'm focused on it, but we know that our brain is filling in the gaps in parts that we can't see well with what it expects to see. And so we do this in these types of perceptual ways but we also do them in deep emotional ways too when we are meeting people. So uh, we, we can meet someone and when we um, well, talk to somebody about uh, you know, getting to know them and, and seeing who they are, we usually think we are getting to know them, but we're not aware of there's kind of a process happening where we're getting to know them with the information we're getting from them. But there's a lot of us filling in the gaps as well, where we think we uh, already know them or they're reminding us of someone. We might not be aware of who um, or why they're reminding us of that person, but we're filling in the gaps. And so I thought it was interesting hearing this discussion on the masks and how we fill in that gap and to keep this in mind in, in all aspects of our life. And so if we think of romantic relationships, this is where the stakes might be higher and our reasons for wanting to know who this person is can feel even more significant. And because of that, we tend to fill in even more as well. And so to begin with, it's, it's good to keep in mind we tell ourselves don't make judgments, don't get ahead of yourself, 
uh, wait till you get more information, which is very good advice and we should keep that in mind. Uh, but unfortunately, what is challenging is that we automatically will do these things. So if I tell you about someone or something, let's say I tell you about a person or you see someone, you automatically will have some reactions to that person. In a general overall sense, you'll have a feeling of either wanting to go towards or away from them, a like, dislike, uh, positive or negative valence of how you, you feel just by seeing them. And you'll make all sorts of other assumptions. Or if we go into the political realm, if I tell you about a new law, uh, you will automatically have a judgment or reaction to it. You might think, well, no, I'm going to wait to see all the information. I have to see this specific law and, you know, I only make my decisions and my judgments based on information and knowledge and research. But you have to recognize in yourself that you automatically have a response to it before you know more information, something that is happening automatically. And I think that's what's hard. It's not that when we say don't judge, we sometimes think that means don't take this action. But essentially what we have to recognize is that we judge automatically. We have to be more conscious to try to walk that judgment back or try to allow ourselves to be more open. And especially if we're aware of it, not go too deep into that judgment so that it becomes so fixed. Uh, I've seen interesting research on psychologists and therapists who are getting to know a case, so they are usually reading them something, or maybe they do videos, I'm not sure, but either way, they start to tell them about a potential patient, client, and what they're going through. And if early on the psychologist makes a determination of the diagnosis, they say, okay, this is definitely OCD, or this is definitely bipolar 1, what they find is that even if they get more information that disconfirms what they already have assumed to be the diagnosis, they tend to ignore it and stick with that original diagnosis more than one would hope when we consider they're gathering information and they're just learning about this person. So this brings up things like confirmation bias and other things that we all have. But so we see that even psychologists in their field of what they're supposed to do of recognizing, understanding, diagnosing, pay attention, paying attention to an individual, they make an assumption and if they go too deep into it that I know it's this and of course we can understand a psychologist might think well uh, I'm good at what I do so I make a determination and I I know what I'm doing so I know I'm right and we don't like to tell ourselves we were wrong and so we might stick to that the more we think I know that this is how it is before we really can know we can find ourselves in trouble we can get ourselves down a path where we're no longer taking in the new information as objectively as we can. We're fixing it in a certain way and we're filtering it in a certain way that will take away from our information gathering to make a better decision. And what's complex is all these things are happening at the same time. So you are already making the judgment, as I said, but then you can try to challenge it and not go too deep into it. There's some type of interplay, if we want to say, between our feelings and our thinking in a way. We were going back and forth or they're interacting with each other. Unfortunately, what I think often happens is people that try to deny that they feel things about uh, making determinations, thinking about issues, whatever it might be, they think it's just coming from knowledge or being right. So they make a judgment in their head like, no, 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 it's right. I, I know I'm right, not just from feelings and things. No, it's, it's the information. And we know that people are very good at coming up with an argument to prove whatever they already believe. 
Uh, this reminds me of Jonathan Haidt's research from a long time ago, looking at moral type of issues that we tend to think, no, I, I'm looking at what's right or wrong, and it's about ethics and, and, and principles that I hold, but we find that people tend to have an emotional reaction to moral situations, and then they find a reason ad hoc, like a lawyer coming in and defending your case, rather than the other way around, that I think something based on gathering the information, and because of that, I feel something. It's actually the other way around. So we do have to be aware that we make these types of judgments, these types of decisions, without a lot of effort, or really with no effort. And so when we meet someone, it can be even stronger, because we feel even more things, we have more history about people and different things, the brain being a predicting machine and also a meaning-making machine is going to already tell a story. And that's kind of an interesting thing. We can just say one thing about someone and we already have a story about them. I say a male accountant and you probably have a whole bunch of things that come up for you in thinking about that, whoever that individual is. Things about their personality, how they might even look, uh, their age maybe, other things that might come up, you already tell a story. So you meet someone and you already have a whole story for them. And so this could be particularly an issue when it comes to relationships when we start to get to know someone where we are essentially seeing just a little bit and then we fill in the rest with these things. Sometimes it's things we want. We're so wanting to be with someone that we idealize this person and we know this tendency to idealize early and getting to know one another is very strong. And the less we know about the person, the more we can idealize because the less we actually see a human being, we see who they are, the more space there is for us to build them up into something that is not real. But the more we actually see a real person, the less we will have space, or it will be a little bit harder to do that. We still will do that. And so this also happens in long-distance relationships even more strongly because there's less of an opportunity to get to know one another, to really see someone more deeply. So our brain does fill in the gaps. And going back to that question that uh, Ronak had about what what is it that we use to fill in those gaps? I, I think it's a it's an interesting question. I think a hard one to pinpoint that we use this, but it's going to be based on past experiences, um, some level of combination of past experiences with imagination and different factors that are going to play into how we view that person. So we get some information and we fill in the blanks. And so we have to be conscious about, yes, my brain is going to do this. Uh, my mind is going to go to this place of trying to fill in the gaps to make meaning, to tell a story, to make a complete picture. We don't do well when things are incomplete. So we see a face with a mask covering it. In our mind, we see a whole face to a degree. We try to fill in that gap. So you get that it's happening, but stopping yourself from going too far with that. And so this also brings up another side issue of intuition, which complicates things further because sometimes there is something meaningful in that reaction that we have. And so it could see that this does muddy the waters in some way, and it definitely does. How do I know if what I'm picking up on is something deeper that I can't quite understand, but is actually coming from a place that has some type of wisdom in it, or it's based on some genuine experience that actually relates to this moment? Often people meet someone, 
and they get to know them better and they say, you know what, I wish I trusted my intuition. I knew I didn't feel something good about them, but I went forward anyway. And we do definitely have lots of hindsight biases and things that are there. Sometimes we have an anxiety. We're not sure one way or the other. And then when something happens, we say, oh, I knew that was going to happen. That's a common thing that we we do. Should you make this investment or not? And of course, you're going to feel a little bit unsure. And then if it doesn't go well, you're like, oh, see, I knew it. I knew it wasn't going to go well. Well, it was you were ambivalent. And so you had both of those feelings. But coming back to intuition, it also plays a part in these these types of experiences. So can I tell you when it's one or the other? No. But this is where you have to take the time to try to reflect a little bit. You'll never get a concrete answer that this is something good I should follow, this is something bad I shouldn't follow, or I should make my decision based on this or that. But the better you understand yourself, you might become aware of some of your biases. So let's say some people I, I work with in therapy It's interesting. You see various experiences when it comes to dating. Some people, before they go on a first date, they're already thinking, oh my gosh, maybe this person is the one. I already like this about them, that. They're already building up. So the story they're filling in is more of the fairy tale positive story. I think, you know, there's something here. Maybe this is going to be the person. And we could see that they're probably being too excited, too positive about it. They're filling in the gap in too much of a positive way. Some people, if it's coming from a fear of intimacy, trying to protect themselves, they've been burned sometimes in dating. There's like, oh, I don't, I already saw that they did this, or they said this one comment, and I don't, I don't know. I think that probably means that they are like this or like that. And so we can see their radar is too much on the negative side, and, and that they're constantly, in a way, looking for something to protect themselves by not liking the person. And again, sometimes these things will genuinely be there. But if we understand ourselves better, we can say, you know what, I know this is my tendency, my tendencies to go this way or that. And in therapy, sometimes that can make it more clear, sharing it with the therapist, sharing it with someone else, they can give you that mirror back and say, you know what, last four times you went on a date, you seem to already talk about how horrible they were before you even saw them. Or the last four times you went on a date, you were already planning your wedding with this person before you even saw how you were together in person and maybe you're going too fast or you're getting too positive about it before you even know what's going on. So this mask analogy I think is a good one to remember that we're doing this in all aspects of life because we're dealing with incomplete information. We don't have all the information yet we tell ourselves a story and also we have to make a decision at times with knowing it's incomplete information. So it is part of life. We can't say, I'm going to know everything and then go forward. But it's recognizing how much information we have. How much am I filling in the gaps? Where is that coming from? Let me look a little bit deeper at that. So I thought that was interesting uh, kind of topic that was brought up by that um, post that I saw yesterday. So thank you, Ronak, for sharing that. Let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Yeah, thank you for calling. Assalamualaikum. Yeah. Um, man. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, the sh- uh, yes. excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, we talked before the the other air, the commercial break. Uh, as I mentioned, the show's in English. So if you could please. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, yeah. did I say Farsi? Yeah. <laughs> <I just laughs> it's pretty automatic. I understand. Go ahead. Sorry about that. No problem. Okay. Um, so, 
so uh, I have a daughter that just started her college life uh, away from home outside the state. And um, so she, uh, it seems like she has developed an extreme um, sensitivity about uh, washing her hands and keeping, uh, you know, all her clothes and everything very clean and not touching anything that's... if she touched once or like you know wiping things and i uh, and definitely this is uh, aggravated or like uh, not i don't know like i don't know if it existed before covid but definitely covid had a lot to do with it mm-hmm. um so um m- uh, my daughter um uh has an eczema and actually, before she moved out of the state, uh, she, I mean, I, I saw uh, what was happening to her hand because she, I mean, of course, using sanitizer and washing hands a lot. But um, so, of course, we had a, a lot of issues. Uh, and she has a asthma as well. So she had a history of being hospitalized a lot uh, when she was um, younger. Uh, due to pneumonia and asthma attack. Um, and then, so uh, the fear of uh, COVID definitely uh, took our mm-hmm. sensitivity as a family to the you know, higher sure. level. Uh, so, uh, but when I saw when her hand changed uh, drastically in a really bad, because even though she had eczema, she, it was never an issue. She would have maybe once in a blue moon, a little bit here and there, and it would be resolved. But because of all these sanitizer and washing hands, it was in a really, really bad shape. So I, I personally cut back um, a lot of things to just get her to a routine after COVID to just, you know, we used to wipe a lot of, um, you know, food items. I just cut back all of that and I like, you know, going to, you know, dermatologist to just um, um, telling her she cannot use sanitizer, which finally she listened. Um, So her hand uh, got better. But going away, being away from home and unfortunately being with uh, a roommate that she is even extremely more than her that every second she uses a sanitizer for, you know, you know, everything she mm-hmm. touches. So I think definitely um, the situation um, not only didn't get better, it got worse. And uh, to the point that, I mean, when she came back for holiday, I saw she's like back to score one again, because before she leaves, I felt like she was a little bit more controlled and at least um, not doing it as much. So now it's funny because she's kind of talking to her friends and she's naming her problem OCD, um, which probably it is, but I don't want to name it because I don't know. I mean, it is helpful to name it or not, but at least um, she, she is acknowledged that she has acknowledged that and she, uh, she's aware of it. And uh, at least she is going to see somebody there, but um, I don't know, like being away from you know home, who to see and what to do. And even more important, 
I guess at this point, as a parent, I need to know what, how I can talk to her or what kind of things I can do, especially since she's coming back home and she's staying with us for a month. Mm-hmm. At least I want to, during this time, be a help and yeah. be able to say things, the right things to her to um, calm down the situation and at least get her um, to... Um, to get a little bit normal. Mm-hmm. Well, so well, that that's, word that's, that word we have to be careful about. Um, normal. Oh, okay, I know. <laughs> well, no, and I, I say that because the way you're describing your daughter, she likely is, has uh, a lot of anxiety, and it doesn't mean she always mm-hmm. has to have severe anxiety, but she's going to have anxiety her whole life. And so, mm-hmm. you know, thinking we're to get rid of it somehow or make her, her normal, whatever that means, even anxiety is actually part of. A normal human life as well. We, we don't want to think of it in that way. So a few things, though, about what you've shared already. Um, it seems like she has a predisposition to anxiety, even asthma, uh, things like that can be related to, and the skin sensitivities now could be from so much sanitizer, but it often could be related to someone being more sensitive overall. There's some mm-hmm. connection there. So she could just be, that's part of her disposition at some level. And unfortunately, COVID had effects on everyone in lots of ways. I think it heightened the anxiety of the whole world because it created more uncertainty. Things were changing. We didn't know how long things were going to be the way they were. And of course, there was this invisible virus enemy that was hurting and killing people uh, and still is. And so it made people very anxious. And so what I've seen in my practice and in just people in general is that people who have anxiety, unfortunately, people who have anxiety, unfortunately, it's been heightened their um, anxiety even further. So it's likely it, it happened for your daughter and probably for yourself too and the whole family, just a heightened sense of anxiety that she was also picking up on. And then now she's moving away to college, which is a big change and it could be very exciting, but also anxiety provoking. And you are saying her roommate might be influencing her even more in that way of, of being careful or extra worried about, um, you know, sanitizing things. So it, it could have had that effect, unfortunately, of putting her back in that environment. Now, we don't want to get the sense that she's home for three weeks. We're going to change things or fix this problem, whatever it is. Um, the issue of labeling it OCD. I'm not sure if it is OCD because people tend to think if you ask people in like a colloquial way, they think OCD just means cleaning everything a lot and making everything very organized, which is actually more uh, aligned with OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. People can have uh, with OCD can have preoccupations with cleaning and things. So it doesn't mean it can't be that. Um, But people tend to think if you clean a lot, you're OCD when it's not necessarily the case. So the label, I'm not, you know, she might be saying it to her friends. I don't know in what way. Is it just like a a half joking, half serious way or as a declaring her diagnosis? I'm not sure. I would let her deal with that. Can I interrupt in here? Because her roommate is psychologist. She's she's a freshman and she's going for psychology. And I guess she has this issue herself mm-hmm. telling my daughter that you you have OCD and that's hearing it that was you know disturbing me as well because I felt like why are you even 
naming something that you don't know what it is, you know. So that's definitely not coming from her directly. Okay. Well, we don't, and we don't know if it's it is or it isn't. It could be. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it too much about what this yeah. uh, roommate is, um, is is saying. So, how have things been? Has she already come back home? Your daughter? No, she's not. Okay. Uh, she's she'll be back soon. Yeah, I'm guessing. Usually, for a lot of colleges, uh, high schools finals are this week. So. I'm yeah, sure she'll exactly. be back. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, when she comes back, one thing I'll say is to to not put a lot of pressure on on this. And what often happens in Ordi and what you're describing, we have a problem, a bigger problem, like or issue, like her anxiety and her overall mental health. But then one uh, aspect of it can become the focus of uh, everyone's attention. And in this case, it might become her skin. And, you know, I could imagine you when she comes home and looking at her hands to see what kind of condition they are in. Does, does that mm-hmm. does that seem like you would feel that way, that you would want to be preoccupied with her hands and how they're doing? Of course. Yes. I mean, you mean like I will check on her to yeah. see how her hands is? Yeah. yeah, of course. And, and, and I get that, and I would, I would expect it's hard for you to not do that. But I would exactly. recommend for you to be aware of that and not to make that... A focus as much as you can mm-hmm. to not make that the thing because even if we make her skin on her hands whatever it is no longer have eczema and perfectly smooth and not you know overly sanitized or whatever it is it doesn't mean her anxiety is, is gone it could be an indication mm-hmm. of one aspect of it or it could be it shows up somewhere else so I wouldn't be get preoccupied it's just like you know sometimes it's biting nails or uh, you know, picking at something. And those mm-hmm. things matter. It's not that we ignore them because we, we do care, but we don't want to make that the make or break type of a behavior or result um, that mm-hmm. we fo- overly focus on. You know, I care more about her head than her hands. I do care about how mm-hmm. her hands are doing, but I do care more about how she's doing mentally overall. And that's a much bigger picture thing than than her hands, which could be reflecting something. So I get it that if you see her hands are really, you know, uh, have a lot of uh, eczema or really are worn down, it could be an indication of, oh, my daughter's really anxious, but we want to f- mm-hmm. turn our attention to how is she doing overall and focus mm-hmm. on the hands themselves. So also one thing about her from from childhood, I mean, I constantly, not constantly, I always wondered how she is internally mm-hmm. and she always at least you know telling me and her father that it's like oh i'm i'm fine i'm fine and i always wondered um how she handled her um stress mm-hmm. because a lot of times i expect like people you know break down or you know at least show some sign or something that okay i'm frustrated about this i don't like this or but she shows very small amount of that mm-hmm. and very very like very few occasions i have seen so overall she always say i'm happy and even like going there i know she's away she want to be away uh, it's exciting for her but i i know i as a you know human being i understand you mm-hmm. you do have a stress and it's okay to express it and it's okay and i always want to she be honest with me, but I don't know if she's honest with herself to begin with. That it's she possible, can, you know, but, and those things are not help. unrelated. Uh, you know, even her being honest with herself or not being honest with herself, it could be how 
comfortable has she been since childhood to share things with others and of course with with you as her mm-hmm. family and parents that we can look at. I wanted to get some information from you about the family. Mm-hmm. Does she have any siblings? No, she's the only one. Okay, which um, you know can mean even more of a focus gets put on her. The spotlight can be even mm-hmm. stronger, which can have some things good, but a lot of things to be bad about that too, especially if mm-hmm. she's someone who's dealing with a lot of feelings. Uh, mm-hmm. She could have learned to, to put those away from you because you might be also anxious about it, you know, and so she's picked up on your Mm -hmm. feelings. If she's more sensitive, she's aware of your responses and reactions, even if they're subtle. So what I want to do is Mm -hmm. we're at a commercial break. I want us to continue going Mm -hmm. down actually this path a little bit more of, you know, you brought up something important of her sharing her feelings, and it seems you're almost surprised because you see her as someone anxious and dealing with a lot of things, but she doesn't express it outwardly too much what she's going through. And you're right, there could be... Yeah. yeah, and I want to know if this is has anything to do with, you know, and now it's showing in different things. It possibly. That, yeah, we have to mm-hmm. look at that. And then, of course, especially focusing on, since I'm talking to you, how can you adjust how you're communicating and responding to her to make it easier for her to be open? So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that yeah. after the break, okay. okay? Okay, great. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. back before the break we were with a caller let's go back to them now caller are you still there yes, yes. okay Hi. so we were talking about your daughter who's just started college and um, some anxiety issues definitely seem to be there for her including it's showing up in how she um, is cleaning her hands or being overly focused on cleaning and even it's led to damage to the skin on her hands, eczema, things like that. And before the break, you had mentioned, uh, I think, a very important point that I said we'd get into a little bit more of you want her or you'd like for her to be more open with you, but you've noticed or you feel that she seems to say she's okay or be okay or say she's okay, but you feel like there might be more going on. So um, in general, tell me, does she open up to you about things that are going on even about informing you about them and then she takes the emotions out of it or she, how, tell me about that interaction yeah, or those so interactions. She has actually, um, so interesting enough, uh, she always, uh, she tells me things, but she tells me things sometimes way down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like she, re- like she has been, I would say for the, especially after COVID because she's at home all the, she was at home all the time. She was very close to me, like she was, you know, I was her best friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, but then, um, like, but I'm hearing things a little bit down the road, like ex- ex- especially about her hand situation when she came back after like three months being at school, um, hearing uh, what she has done, I was like, you know, it, it really concerns me that uh, to what level she has gone. And she's she has done some stuff to stop her because she con- she says my brain constantly telling me, oh, you know, I ha- I, you know, you know, something is running in my brain about, oh, this is dirty, dirty or whatever I have to wash or whatever, whatever I have to do. And so she intentionally would like, you know, she said, you know, it's good thing that I can sit on my 
you know, bed because before I wouldn't sit on my bed with uh, when I go out and come mm-hmm, home. Mm-hmm. So I had to change my clothes before I sit on my bed. So she she does things to, you know, on her own to do things to help herself, but I'm not sure if she is doing it in a right way or, you know, uh, it's good that she has it in, in, you know, she take an initiative to do it, but I'm not sure the way she goes about it is the right way. And for me, I I have really hard time to just um, like help her because I don't know how to help her. I don't know what to say or what to not to say to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, that's that's my problem okay. right now. Well, a few things. One is um, it does seem like she's dealing with significant anxiety. And mm. I think if she has to want to see someone, I, I think she definitely should. But they have to be mm-hmm. someone who specializes in anxiety and OCD. Uh, I can't give her that okay. diagnosis either. We're not sure. But either way, uh, mm-hmm. OCD is an anxiety issue, uh, an anxiety disorder. So it's someone who has that experience can help mm-hmm. her. And then related to that, you know, you're saying, well, I don't know if she's doing this or, you know, she's doing it right or doing enough. You know, we have to recognize what she's dealing with is very, very difficult. It's not something that we say, well, she should just do the right things and figure it out. It's very, very powerful what she's dealing with, with what's going on in her brain and how strong she's going to feel about doing things and that she has to do certain things. And so I hope Mm -hmm. you can approach any conversations you have with her with the compassion of this is very, very hard. And I don't know exactly how we're going to, you know, what's going to happen in figuring it out, but it's a, it's a challenging thing. So it's not this, mm-hmm. she should just do the right things and she'll get out of this um, easily. It's very hard mm-hmm. what she's, what she's dealing with. And that's one mm-hmm. of the layers. And there's different ones we might have to look at of when she shares things with you, how you're mm-hmm. responding. Even if I can share with you my feeling of how I heard you. And that's why I really wanted to give you a chance to finish some of those sentences because I felt a type of criticalness or judgmentalness in how you were saying what she's doing or not doing. There was a harshness in that, that I could imagine she would feel if she tells you, oh yeah, mom, I've been going through this and then I tried this. How you respond mm-hmm. is going to be very important. So you don't have no, to... Uh, yeah. Um, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, for me, yes. Uh, I. That's the thing. So sometimes maybe I am, but... Uh, when she expressed these things, I say I'm really proud that you are acknowledging it. Uh, because I guess for me, the challenge I have with her is, um, I guess, to just, I, and I know it's hard because I, I never deal with these type of behavior or anything like that. So I don't know what to do. So for me to just, she understand, for example, if washing her hand a simple action of washing hand can damage her skin and if she can at least think about it and like slow down the frequency um, that's a good thing but of course I feel right now this is beyond just the mm-hmm. like a one plus one I, I think it's beyond that so that's what I'm uh, feeling like I need to know how to talk to her, but the way she expressed to me, I, I, the, this, like the, when she came back, I was very supportive of her in a sense that just say, I'm really um, proud of you that you understand this is a problem because that's the 50% of a 
solution, you know. And I I keep encouraging her to go and seek help because I said I personally cannot help you because I don't know how to what to do for you. And I really want you to go and uh, find, uh, you know, because uh, through her school, they have a center. And um, the good news is she did reach out to them. And uh, I guess at the school level, they do mostly as a, at the, at the, at much, as much as a, like a relationship with the kids and, you know, uh, more of a relationship. But they, uh, I guess she did express that she has this issue as well. And they said, okay, so perhaps you need a specialist for that specific, like OCD again. But that's what I was wondering is that, uh, so it's better to go based on what you're saying to just say, so this is probably coming from a lot of anxiety that you have and build up and and now perhaps is showing in a different way. So look at it that way because I don't know. I just feel like if she says, "Oh, I have an OCD," I, mean, I don't know. I just she might, a, but she might have OCD. Maybe, maybe she does, but I, at least before she, you know, for sure knows it. It's better to look at it. Okay, how I can help myself to, you know, overcome this issue. Well, so, both, but uh, you know, we might have to know the issue to overcome it. Um, mm-hmm. I understand we don't want to label something we don't know, and it can have its own, uh, you know, judgments about it. One thing I would mm-hmm. recommend for you also is that don't think it's your role to fix this problem, mm-hmm. because it's like, what do I, you know? It's almost like you're, you're talking like a case manager about her situation. Like I don't know what to, mm-hmm. to you know. So it's, it's letting her tell you. I, I would also wonder what does she go through? How does she, how does it feel? Maybe she. Let's say she said I feel okay. I mean it's going to be up to her. You know even the way you said accepting that there's a problem. I don't know how she would hear that. Maybe she it was okay for her. But you know what what is she feeling about it? What is she um, going through? And you know usually at the universities I actually did um, my first internship. At a at here USC's College Counseling Center, and usually there's a, a pretty short limit of the number of sessions they can do, and yes, the specialists are not necessarily going to. They can depends on her school, but usually won't find the specialist. It's more of a short term type of therapy thing that we would mm-hmm. do there. Eight sessions, I don't know, ten sessions, depending on uh, certain factors. So it wasn't something that is likely what she's going to need, and she could also uh, benefit from medication. It's depending mm-hmm. on how, you know, how severe it is and what she's going through. But I think what she likely will need will be more than what um, most college counseling centers are going to be able to provide. And it seems like mm-hmm. they're even telling her that. So, you know, we want to mm-hmm. be aware of that. But, you know, w- another thing to keep in mind, when we say, what should I tell her? Um, mm-hmm. You know, logic does not go very far with these types of issues. You know, like, so when you say, mm-hmm. well, you know, you know, if you wash your hands, it's going to hurt your skin. Um, which makes some sense, but we have to understand that what she's dealing with, imagine if you thought if you didn't wash your hand, you were going to die. You would say, well, who cares if my skin hurts, right? If it feels that strong in that moment. And I'm not saying it's right that she feels that way, but anxiety, unfortunately, it gives us this outsized fear of what's going on. So people who have a phobia of flying, if you talk to them off of a plane and just about conversation, they'll, they know there's 
almost no chance of crashing. It's so low. It's safer than driving. It's they can know all the facts, but that they get mm-hmm. on the plane like, oh my God, we're going to die. You know, it's just that feeling mm-hmm. is there. It's not a uh, just based on pure logic. It's an automatic reaction type of a feeling. So she is going to have mm-hmm. to do behaviors to change it, and uh, you know, thinking can help as well. But thinking that you're going to convince her that she should wash her hands less or, you know, mm. tell her about it. I wouldn't do that. And especially sometimes, I hope you haven't gone there, but sometimes people will, well, look at how your hands look or look how bad it looks. So you should stop. Um, it usually just adds a layer of shame to mm. what they're going through rather than actually helps them to do better. It pushes them down rather than up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I, I guess that's what I, because I don't want to make her case, um, uh, um definitely worse i just mm-hmm. want to help her or that's what i was wondering like if i say like say nothing because the fact that she at least knows that is the issue because one thing is um, she definitely have a lot of times very um very strong she's a very strong minded in some issues mm-hmm. and even though like you know something uh we, I mean, just the basic thing I tell you, like if you, something that I, there's no opinion, it's about like two plus two is four, and she can, if she has a mind of herself that it has to be five, she will uh, stay on it until mm-hmm. maybe down the road change her mind. But I don't know when that's going to happen. But so that that aspect of her. Uh, I guess my challenge with her, or maybe I, I don't know, um, I, I, I'm not very good at how to deal with it, how to be, um, um, I, 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 I don't know how to deal with when become like that, because I guess for me, it's just, I guess, understanding two plus two is four. But is, but what is, you'd have to give me an example because it could be that you think it's so easy that it's two plus two is four, but it might okay. be different. So in this case, in this case, I guess for me, the fact, uh, for me was to just get her to understand uh, her action is hurting her physical. But I didn't know, I, I mean, I guess I didn't realize how much is actually maybe this is coming from another source, which can be that anxiety that you're telling me. Of course, because yeah. I I was not aware that can, this can happen. You know. Yeah, but so, I mean, but I, that's what I mean is I don't. I think you have to take that away from. You know, you're saying she doesn't understand, but you're not trying enough to understand her. So if she's saying I keep washing, I mean, she knows. I don't think she doesn't see that the, her hands, the skin changes. Um, but you have to make sure you're trying to understand her, not she needs to see what I see, and then we're good. You have to take even more effort to say, I have to see what she sees if I want to understand her. I see. Okay. You know, so she's, like I said, she's washing her hands not because she thinks it's fun, uh, not because she has yeah. no idea of, you know, it's it's doing something. Any kind of behaviors that we do like this, the person is aware of how it hurts them, but either they feel like they can't stop it or it feels worth it. Something's going on. So we have to understand what's going on in her head you know so she says yeah mom mm-hmm. but i'm just it's just like i'm so scared that i'm gonna get sick i'm so you know something and even hear her more don't try to convince her away from it and so going back to what you mentioned previously you know you're gonna have to listen to her more so anytime you're talking mm-hmm. to her about these issues if you find that you're talking 
even as much as her, then the conversation to me is not going well. She should be talking way more than you because it's about her. Mm -hmm. So if she's telling you about what she's feeling and is experiencing, you can only be listening more. You can, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully show you're trying to understand. You might ask some questions to understand it better. But if you find yourself mm -hmm. trying to convince her, don't feel this way or don't think this way, mm -hmm. I would ask you to, to try to stop those because if you're saying I want to know more from her, you have to create that space for her to feel comfortable to tell you Mm -hmm. thing so she says oh yeah mom I was just so freaked out and I washed my hands 20 times yesterday it's like oh really like what was going on not no no that's so much it's bad for your hands you know you shouldn't you could have stopped yourself you mm -hmm. could have done that you know so if you go into the advice mm -hmm. giving and the fixing she's probably gonna you know hold back and that's probably part of why you know when you tell me she tells me things that are problems after the fact that's a classic mm -hmm. example of when we think the person we tell Either they're going to react really strongly, get you know so yeah. worried or freaked out, or they're going to judge us, or they're going to try to fix mm -hmm. it with too much pressure on us. So I'd rather not tell them. You know, it's like let me sure. wait till later on. So this is what I'd want you to ask yourself: of I probably need to come on a little bit softer with her. Yeah, doesn't mean mm -hmm. say that whatever she's doing is the best way, but you have to be listening to her more. So if she says she's doing sure. something and it's not good, I get you could have a reaction. Of, oh, that's hurting her. Or that's not you know, what I would wish for her or want for her, but we have to give her that space to go through it. And also she's human. We all struggle. And if we look at anyone's life, we can say you should have done this better or could have done that better. or You shouldn't have done that. It's very easy to look at someone's life and tell them the do's and the don'ts. Um, but we want to understand her experience living and what she's going through. So uh, I would make sure you're giving her mm -hmm. more space, listening more. Uh, not trying mm -hmm. to convince her, not being sure that she's wrong, because what you told me is you're sure she's wrong about these things. Also, people who have anxiety in general tend to get fixed in a way of thinking. So there could be some of that. But if we're talking about her mm -hmm. experience, she knows it better than you or me. You know, we can't tell her mm -hmm. what she's going through. And so we want to make mm -hmm. sure you leave that space for her to share that with you. That definitely, I, I definitely make a lot of, I mean, for sure, that's, what I'm going my I guess as a mom and of course being the only child I know these are all factors in that um that make you you know still be on top I mean I do want it so my thing is like how so okay so I be a good listener <laughs> okay. but how can I like not in a forced way not in a like a in a negative way uh, direct her in a way to find she find her way just because sometimes I feel like maybe just I don't know like sometimes I feel like she's not uh, aware of all her choices but what um, I'm what I'm hearing is you're saying advantage. how do I get her to do what I want her to do and then you're telling me she's the one who's too fixed in how she sees things hmm so, so you have to have that oh, understanding. Maybe she might know better than you about what she has to do. Hmm. Or, you know, let's understand it. But I think what I'm hearing is even what I, the way I heard what you said is, okay, I'll let her talk, but then how do I get her to do what I want her to do? So that's not actually listening. That's just, you know, pretending hmm. to listen or maybe this will help her then listen to me. That's not actually listening. Listening okay. means, oh, maybe, oh, okay. I didn't actually know that part of it. I see. So what else can we do? What do you think? Let's have a conversation. But if it's just, I have so ask, to... Ask solution from her. Ask solution. I mean, have a conversation. And I would say, take out of your mind that I'm going to fix this problem over winter break. You're not going to. 
No, of course. Yeah. No, so course. it's and it's not even yours to get her. I'm going to fix the path for her to get there. This is going to be a process. Right. A lot of these things that she's she's dealing with and going through. What I would focus mm-hmm. on is I usually tell parents rather than her hands, I'd focus on obviously her head, but more important for what you can control, your relationship with her. How how can I make it so over these three weeks, however long she's there, she feels more comfortable talking to me because I make it easier for her. I make it better for her. I even ask her maybe, mm. what do I do that you sometimes don't like? You know, when you open, I realize that sometimes you don't tell me and take the responsibility. Don't say you should tell me more. Open up to me. Say, you know, maybe I'm not making it easy for you to tell me things. Mm-hmm. I thought about that. How? What do, what do you think? And maybe she'll get uncomfortable. It's the way you're describing her. I can see her say, oh, no, mom, it's okay. Or she doesn't want to get into it. Well, maybe at another time she will, or at some point letting her, I'm open to hearing from you how I can be there for you in a way that makes it easier for you to share with me. So mm-hmm. I, I would focus on that part. What can you do to make the relationship better than, than her uh, fo- only on the anxiety mm-hmm. and how do I solve that problem um, for her? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. We're yeah, at a, I mean, yeah. I, I can see it. It's it's really hard. It's very hard. And you, if, if I could share one last, we do have to, I'm kind of over the commercial break. We have people on hold I, I definitely want to get to. But, um, you know, one thing you said, some kind of the magical words. I mean, dads say it too, but moms say it a lot when they say, well, I'm a mom, usually means I, I don't want to change the way I'm doing something, which I can see might mm-hmm. not be right, because it feels like I have to do it this way. You know, like, I just don't want to let he, go of doing it that way. So I get it. You're, you're concerned about it. And I'm not saying, oh, you see her hands have no reaction. It's impossible. You won't care. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to care. But it's realizing that how I express how I care actually could help or hurt her more. And I want to obviously focus on helping her. And sometimes when we get too involved or do too much, we actually can hurt more than we help. So probably what you're going to need to do is a little bit of stepping back rather than stepping in even more. And if you step back, she might actually fill in that space between you and her more to make that relationship stronger and more open. That sounds good. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll do definitely my best. It's hard. It is, as you said yourself, it is hard, it, it is hard. It will continue to be difficult. Uh, wish you the best with that and happy holidays. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was very helpful. Oh, good. Have a good day. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thank Thank you. Happy holidays. Bye. All right, let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Thank you for calling. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm calling from Scandinavia. very nice. It's probably, I'm what, around 10 30. p.m. there. Okay. Uh, yes. I'm uh, 37, and uh, I was uh, doing my PhD uh, mm-hmm. in physics uh, and nanotechnology. Um, uh, I uh, When I came to, uh, I mean, when I had to write my thesis, PhD thesis, mm-hmm. I was uh, uh, struggling a lot with the anxiety. And... Um, to the point that I could not finish my thesis on time, and so um, I had uh, really hard days uh, coping with stress and anxiety, and uh, the fear of writing and having to do a big um, thesis that was uh, so big that uh, at some point I felt like I was frozen and I could not move on and and, uh, do more. 
so that was uh, very unfortunate mm. that I could not uh, hand in my thesis on time. And then um, now, let me ask you I, if I can stop you there for a second. When you say you could sure. not, uh, it, did, does that mean you cannot finish it, or you're still in the process trying to? You you can have um, an opportunity. To finish no, it. I could not finish it on time, and um, I uh, I mean the deadline was over, and I was uh, not finished writing. Mm. It was over the summer. Um, and so uh, when my uh, advisor came back from her, his uh, vacation, we had a talk and uh, he gave me the second chance. So now, uh, actually, my uh, studies is put on hold until okay. I recover from uh, this uh, uh, anxiety and, and uh, yeah. this uh, hard time that I've had. Um, uh, so um, I have the chance to go back and, and continue writing and then um submitting my my thesis. Okay, okay, that's good news. I'm very glad yeah. uh, about, and I'm, I really would like to go back and, and finish this because I've always dreamt of doing a hmm. PhD, and I really do like my project. But um, I know that I have always had the problem or the issue with, uh, with anxiety mm-hmm. since I was very young, and um, now I'm, I'm actually going to a psychotherapy good, sessions. Good, good. Um, and I'm also taking um, anti-depressive medicine mm-hmm. of two different kinds um, uh, that should somehow also help with the um, with the anxiety. Yeah. Um, since I had uh, actually a lot of ups and downs and mood change, and and uh, also um, I had a lot of uh, days or nights where I could not sleep and I could not focus. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, why my uh, my GP per, uh, prescribed uh, these two uh, antidepressive okay. medicines that can help me to sleep and have a routine. Yeah, how long and, have you uh, been? I'm, how long have you been taking those medications? Um, for about oh, one of them, I have been taking for about a year. Okay. And the other, um, it's been uh, three months. Since I have started on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, what you're going through is uh, incredibly common, uh, even in psychology mm-hmm. and in other fields. Actually, they, they they have a term. I don't know if they say it there too, but here they say ABD, but it means all but dissertation. And so, yeah. for many people, this experience of writing a dissertation can paralyze them, freeze them, and they can feel stuck, mm-hmm. kind of like you did. And you know, I could share with you quickly my own experience. Um, I'll say that my my uh, dissertation was probably far less rigorous and had to be done in a different way than probably what you have to do. So I'm sure it's more challenging uh, in physics and nanotechnology compared to what I had to do. But nonetheless, I remember having I, I froze for a long time too and didn't get started uh, quite late. Thankfully, was able to um, work on it and with some I think also good fortune was able to finish it on time but I remember just feeling frozen for a long time because it seemed like this really scary thing and I don't know where you are in the process but I remember just feeling stuck and not showing knowing where to start and they would give us these you know papers that would tell us all the things we'd have to do to help us to know the path towards finishing but it actually intimidated me more because I would look ahead and say I don't even know what these things are can I do this I don't know if I can that would make me freeze and another part about writing anyone who has anxiety and especially any type of perfectionism even in a smaller degree it can be very intimidating to put something on a page and feel like 
you know, this is what I'm saying, um, rather than I don't know exactly the work that you do, but sometimes with things like physics or mathematics, it can feel easier. The, the math part of it can feel easier, but the writing part can feel much more intimidating. So tell me, where did you get in the process? Were you able to even begin um, working on it, or were you stuck in even the starting point? Uh, no, I actually got started and okay. I wrote uh, two chapters and um, at the same time I uh, managed to actually get one uh, paper published, um, but uh, I still have to write a few more chapters, the uh, theoretical part, and then uh, another paper to submit. But you know, no. um, my question to you is more about, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually uh, a bit scared of going back uh, to university and and start writing. Hmm. Um, I'm just afraid that I would just end up in the same situation, and um, that would also give me a bad reputation. I mean, uh, with my supervisor, and even yeah. that I would really like to stay in academia. Mm. Yeah. And I've always had this problem with uh, with anxiety when I was younger, uh, and I was in Iran um, preparing to enter university. I was so anxious that I could spend hours in front of uh, my books but uh, not not being even able to read a paragraph. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was just pulling my hair and, you know, collecting hair. Mm -hmm. um, I'm now doing this psychotherapy, and um, I'm not saying that it has not helped me, but uh, we are doing, what we are doing a lot in these sessions with my therapist is that we, tr we try to do an analysis of my childhood and to find the root cause of this um, problem that I have. I know that I have a lot of issues from my childhood, but I don't know if that can particularly help me to do this psychoanalysis. Um, well, yeah, I still feel like... Yeah, so, yeah. you know, that... I'm stuck. Right, and it's hard to say what's the right type of therapy for you. Um, what I practice also has some more the, the analyzing in it, but it's not just psychoanalysis. But because your issue right now is so specific to something in your life that you want to overcome, it, it's possible that CBT would be more beneficial for you, something like cognitive behavioral therapy focused on mm -hmm. this specific issue of writing um, the dissertation and getting started and the anxiety that's coming with that and even what you're experiencing is which is very common is that anxiety it kind of becomes not contagious but it expands now you have an anxiety about your anxiety you know you're anxious but then you're also now anxious well what if I go and I don't do well and how is that going to be and my reputation and and all that stuff so unfortunately we have this like mm -hmm. an anticipatory anxiety of what we're going to feel anxious about uh, so that's something yeah. to consider. I don't want to, you know, I try to be careful interfering with treatments that people are in because you're already seeing someone and, and looking at that. And I think because psychoanalysis tends to be a more drawn out process and you might be looking for something that gives you some more immediate short term benefit, it's possible CBT can be more helpful for you. So that's one thing we can keep in mind. We might uh, talk about it some more during our conversation today, but that's something that comes to mind. Um, you know, what you're going through, as I said, is very common. And so I hope you can really get that what you're dealing with. It's not that you can't write it. It's that you're afraid of what you're going to write not being good enough. It's not that you actually cannot complete this process. Does that is there that doubt that I can't do this? What's your feeling about this process of doing this dissertation? Is there part of you that doesn't think you can 
complete it or are you afraid you just won't do it? Yeah, my, I'm, I'm, I'm just afraid that I would run out of time and, and uh, it's just such a big thing that I can't, uh, I can't do it as, as good as I want. I think maybe I also get into perfectionism. Yes. That's then, you know that's uh, a big I'm part yeah. With all this talk, then I also get into procrastinate you know and then uh, every time I do uh, planning and um, like uh, you know for for doing a project management on my I'm on, on my PhD project and on the writing um, every time I, I I start and I when I get stuck in between and I start, I procrastinate mm -hmm. and yeah. yeah and then I get into some some sort of depression loop because I feel bad about myself and I blame myself, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. for not being tidy or or, or um, organized enough to follow my plans and yeah. Um, well, you know, it's yeah, it's a it's a pretty um, it really is a heartbreaking cycle that many people go through, and I think we all go through it in some point of life. But for some, it could be more significant and sadly the more important the thing is the more likely it is for us to happen which is happening for you too and that loop you described is is another unfortunate one anxiety and depression reinforcing each other you the anxiety makes it hard to get the work done then when you don't get the work done you feel bad about yourself or you feel bad about the situation and that makes you feel worse and can make you feel even more more anxious and you in a way said it yourself but usually you know sometimes procrastination people can think it makes them at least look lazy or people will call someone lazy if they're not getting their work done but almost always procrastination is being caused by anxiety it's not that you have a bad work ethic or you you can't work or you're lazy in any way it's the anxiety is so overpowering that you have a hard time getting it done and and that word perfectionism is the biggest enemy when it comes to getting anything done but especially getting a big work done and something that's more open-ended where there's no there are some deadlines but it's not so strict but also it's not clear the path of what you have to do so you have a path but you have to write something and so you look at that blank screen and when you think the next thing I write has to be perfect that's gonna paralyze you because uh, you you know we know it can't be perfect or how do we know so we're at a commercial break here but I do want to continue our conversation going a little bit into some of these issues related to to what's going on so I'm gonna put you on hold and we'll talk after the yeah. break okay Thanks. sure all right we'll be right back welcome back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to them now let's see line one yeah caller are you still there yes okay yes, so okay good so we were you know we're talking about your process right now getting your PhD finished which you will be getting done in several months I'm already I'm saying that first you'll let me know how that's gonna happen but um, th that's the challenge that you're facing right now is this anxiety that's that's getting in the way and unfortunately what can happen going back to the way that anxiety can work another thing is that because you've had anxiety and because you weren't able to do it before your first reaction is going to be that you can't do this again but that's just the feeling that comes up because of what you have experienced it doesn't mean that has to be the reality of what what happens next give me a little bit of insight into where you are at in the present moment are you currently working on it Do you have to wait to work on it what's the the current state of what's going on uh, well uh, for the time being uh, my studies is put on, on the pause mm -hmm. or 
yeah, that's what we call here. Um, so it's it's put on hold, um, and I have been now going, um, you know, not doing anything in three months uh, except for um, <clears throat> that's just a formality. Since now I'm not uh, the contract with the university, so I have to um, uh, look for a job and. Uh, um, I've not been doing that seriously, but um, yeah, mostly taking care of myself. But um, okay, so yeah, so that's just it, and I'm not doing much with my thesis. So when would you be? I'm trying to understand when you say you're on pause. You're supposed to be right now working on the dissertation, or you have to wait to then start working on it. Um, no, it's actually up to me. I have been given time until uh, the end of March uh, next year mm-hmm. um, to recover, and then, um, I mean, until that date, I can actually go back and um, uh, re uh, somehow re-register myself at the university and then I will be able to get my computer again and and, and continue writing. So until that um, time, you can't work on it? You can't do anything on the dissertation? Yes, I, I, I can go and, and uh, ask for the, yeah, uh, for my computer and, and go back and start writing. Okay. But if, uh, if I pass that time, then I would not be able to defend my PhD. Okay, you have to do that by March? Or no, when is the time that you have to be done? Well, um, the agreement is that uh, as soon as I go back and ask uh, my supervisor for my computer and uh, being re- uh, registered at university as a student, mm-hmm. then I will get a new deadline for um, handing in my thesis. Okay. So yeah. are you, uh, I'm sure you're anxious, are you excited also? Actually, I'm pretty excited. Good. I would um, definitely like to finish it, and uh, I'm even uh, very enthusiastic about afterwards where I could um, apply for some academic job. But um, yeah, I also have this fear, which sometimes takes over the sure. excitement. I can, you know, you're going to have both, and that fear is not likely going to go away. It's definitely not going to go away completely. You know, even someone who's very calm is going to have anxiety about writing a dissertation. And the thing is, you know, when we have that anxiety, it sometimes makes us feel like there's something scary that we're facing when it's not. It's just in our head, it can feel so so scary and intimidating. You know, one thing I've heard before. Now I know with you going into academia, it's a little bit different, but. Uh, I remember hearing when I was in graduate school that a a finished dissertation is a good dissertation. You know, as long as it's done, um, that that's that's a big part of it being good is getting it done. Because oftentimes people, I remember feeling this too, is a sense of I'm going to write a dissertation that changes the you know the field or such a big impact. And then once you get into it, you realize okay, it's just something you got to make sure you get get it done, and then you actually do more of your goals after you get it done it opens up the doors and the opportunities to do that so try to take some of that pressure off of yourself i know you have some perfectionistic tendencies that you mentioned yourself but to not you don't have to write something that's so amazing because it does seem like what you're doing is putting a pressure on yourself as you're writing that it has to be so good that makes it hard to write anything that it has to be really good you know another thing i would highly recommend is you know you might think I don't, I feel, I don't know how you do feel. Oftentimes in these situations, a student can feel either embarrassed in front of their advisor 
or uncomfortable. How do you feel with your advisor? Did you feel bad or embarrassed about falling behind? Uh, yeah, I, I felt terribly bad. And, and uh, when he gave me uh, support, and he he was very supportive through all out, I mean, uh, through this process, even though I had this uh, problem and I could not uh, hand in my thesis, he was still very uh, supportive mm-hmm. and, and uh, emphasizing that I should take care of myself and then uh, I can come back when I recover. I feel terribly bad and, and uh, really lost my heart even about mm. meeting him in person and talking to him. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it does uh, seem as often comes with this type of anxious feeling is a very uh, harsh feeling towards yourself that... You know, even, uh, you know, that he the way you said it, it's like, oh, he shouldn't have been so nice to me or he maybe shouldn't have been so kind um, with what you were going through. But I'm glad he was and he should have been. He, he's your uh, advisor and supporting you in the process. And I'm sure he's seen many students go through this before. It's not definitely you're the first person who's having a hard time getting their dissertation completed. So what I was going to recommend is because what the anxiety does, it makes us want to avoid something. I would want you to ask him in some way, can you make a structured plan with him, even of having regular, more regular meetings than whatever you have now to talk about what's going on, even if they're quick check-ins, because you need to make sure you don't let yourself get into a place where you start avoiding it for days and, and maybe even weeks and months that it starts to expand. So I would make a very regular and strong plan with him maybe it's hard for you to ask i don't know if it is but just some of the sense i'm getting from you to ask for that kind of support or help but i'd highly recommend creating a structure with him to help guide you and keep you more on the path that you need to be on to get to this finish line yes have you thought about that or is that something you think you would do yeah, I, I would. I have been thinking about that, but actually, we also did some kind of. Um, yeah, we had some kind of follow-up meetings when I was in the process of writing the first two chapters on the paper that I published. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, at some point, I was even um, when when he had set the deadline, telling me, for instance, um, can you send uh, chapter one by next week, um, by next Friday, then. You know, I was sitting all the day and thinking that, okay, I'm not finished uh, and it's not good enough. It's not a chapter that is complete. Uh, so why should I send? Maybe maybe I send it an hour later. Okay, um, maybe two hours later. Saturday is also okay. Mm-hmm. Sunday is okay. And then weeks would gone and, and I, I yeah. didn't yeah, have heart to, to send it to him. Yeah, now it's so late um, that you feel bad about sending it no matter what. And, you know, that unfortunately that cycle could be tough. Uh, to to overcome and that's why you have to give yourself and even tell him you know I please don't give me any extensions on these deadlines and you have to give yourself and what we know is that if you're a perfectionist what you're doing is better than you think so if you think it's okay it's probably good I was talking to someone earlier today uh, about this so if you think it's okay it's probably good if you think it's good it's probably really good and if you think it's bad, it's probably okay or maybe even good, you know? So you have to really almost have this conversation with yourself, like you're your own coach that talks to yourself. And we recognize this feeling is trying to protect you, this anxiety. It's it's scared of what if you do something bad? It's embarrassing. It's shameful. Something bad is going to happen. But you have to almost talk to it and say, you know what? I know you're trying to protect me, but 
this is, it's going to be okay. I'm going to send this to my advisor. And the worst that happens is he says it needs a lot of work, which actually the whole point of sending it to an advisor and having them is for them to help you work on it. Uh, usually perfectionists almost have this feeling that the first draft has to be a final draft. It has to already be good the first time you type it out, which is never the case. The first time it should be kind of bad. It needs to have work done on it. And so you have to make this, you know, almost asking him for more uh, structure or even being a little bit stricter with you of keeping you on the task because it's going to be easy for you to slip again if you don't have that regular, okay, I have to send, you know, you have to send him something, whatever it is, even if it's incomplete, you have to send him say, you know what, I only wrote half of it and at least send that thing in. That'll actually be a big step for you if you can get yourself to send him something incomplete because it'll, uh, you know, take away some of that pressure of the perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, may I ask one more question? Of course, question? of course. Um, I, um, I've had a lot of talks with my psychotherapist, and she was saying that um, she feels like I'm, I'm playing a game um, as if, um, as if uh, get, getting uh, support from my, my supervisor. I was, I have put him in, in place of my father and um, getting uh, his support and, and uh, that is somehow um, well I had a bit hard time understanding but she was saying that I, it just suits, uh, suits me and, and that's um, it comforts me when he's giving his support and so um, I try to play that I am uh, stressed or I'm anxious and um, because I think uh, sometimes I really wanted him to actually come and tell me that, like, now I'm angry with you, and yet you got to uh, hand in your, your chapters. Hmm. But you did not, and uh, he, but he, wa he was not doing so. He was, he was so kind and, and listening and understanding. But, yeah, so it's um, like, it's possible, you know, and I don't know, and I don't know if we'll get into that if, you know, uh, of yeah. your whole the, the relationship with your father and how it might be playing out here and yeah it's possible and that's what I was saying that you might need a little bit more tough love from him rather than just soft love you, you probably will need both but I think you need more tough love from your advisor to give you a little bit more of that structure and uh, put a good positive pressure on you like look you have to send something you know you can't just not send something that's not going to be okay so you probably do need that and uh i mentioned earlier i don't want to interfere with the you know your therapist giving you uh, certain uh, interpretations and things and saying that was right or it was wrong because i don't know all the the history it's possible that that's there usually what's going on is a combination of things it's not just one thing so it's not just it's your father relationship it seems like you do have anxiety and have dealt with anxiety you said even earlier in your life so it's probably that as well um, but, you know, that's why you might need to ask him for that tougher love. That kind of does relate to what I was saying just a few minutes ago about he, he has to give you more structure to help you. So you're not saying be a little bit harder on me to be mean to me. It's to help support me so I make sure I get to this goal. And I hope you, you know, hold on to that excitement, something you can also do to help motivate you. Um, I would recommend thinking about yourself on your graduation day or if it's the day where you you know, they sign your uh, papers or whatever it is. You know, we had something, a signature page, whatever it is for you that's very meaningful and really 
imagine it in vivid detail. Like, what do you feel? What are you wearing? If it's a graduation ceremony, who's there? Imagine them saying your name. All those things just to build up even more the motivation and excitement about why am I going through all this? Why am I putting myself through this this stress and it's difficult? And also a reminder that you can do this. You know, I don't know you, but I'm sure if you got into that PhD program, they accepted you because they know you're good enough to finish it. And so you definitely can get there. And, you know, there could also be an anxiety about this is another issue. It's a bigger type of thing. Sometimes when it comes to completing school, we can have an anxiety of then facing what feels like more the real world. So is there a part of you that's afraid to finish too? There could be an anxiety about finishing as well that might be worth exploring in your therapy if it has not come up already. So Mm -hmm. there could be that element as well. But I would really recommend a tougher love from your advisor you might have to ask for that you know you can appreciate the way he's been so supportive but that you might need even more structure going forward and another reminder that you definitely can finish it everyone who uh, you know finished their dissertation at one point wasn't sure if they would get there and so you're going to be in that same position and you'll be done and you'll remember this feeling but it doesn't mean the feeling knows that you can't do it Okay. I'm very glad uh, to talk to you, and I'm uh, also thankful for your advice. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm very happy I talked to you. I feel invested now in you and and hoping the best for you. So I really hope you get there. I would be very happy if you did in whatever process you're in, uh, you know, finishing it up or when you finish it. Give me a call back and let me know, okay? Sure, sure. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Good luck. Bye. Take care. All right. Let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello, doctor. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Um, I, I appreciate all your help for all our nation. Oh, all you. people, actually. Um, I, have, I have three daughters. I have spoke to you three times since, okay. I mean, uh, for, uh, in past. Um, my oldest one now, she's 16. She's very successful kid. She's like three weeks ago, she had a speech in front of like over a thousand people. Uh, she, she did a very good job. I mean, she's in our community here in North California. If any event goes, goes on, they choose her. She's the best. She's doing good in gymnastics. She's doing very good. But, but recently she came up with an idea and she's doing very good in school too. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of friends, good friends. But the thing is, recently she came up with the idea that I don't need to get degree in order to succeed here in this country. So uh, I, I went and uh, I Googled, I went to YouTube, this, this and there, to see what reasons I can offer her, give her mm-hmm. that to encourage her to, to, to get her degree here. But unfortunately, I, I couldn't find enough videos. There, there are more videos that you don't need education in this country <laughs> to succeed. Yeah. So, and, and, and uh, the, the, the examples are people like Elon Musk and, you know, people that are mm-hmm. maybe 1% of all this nation. Not, not even, yeah. Yeah, right. You're right. But and already, um, you know, I would say if we get into a debate, that's probably not going to be the best way to, you know, to, to deal with this. But I understand you. It seems like you were looking for ways to convince her that she was not Ex- right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to the way that not to annoy her, not to go on her nerves. <laughs> well, good and luck. If she's 16, probably anything you do, she's going to find uh, pretty <laughs> annoying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Then, then thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> nice talking to you. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. 
So what would you, what would be your advice for me as a parent? I'm, I'm an yeah. auto mechanic. I have an auto mechanic shop. Okay. And, and my wife is getting her bachelor's. She, she, is, she was a teacher in, in Iran. Okay. And she's getting her bachelor's. Her, her, she's going to go for master's. Uh, so very, very, very active family, very, mm-hmm. very successful family, financially very good place. Okay. So, uh, I mean, um, uh, socially good, good, good place. But now it's what's bought. And it, it, the funny is all our friends, their parents are educated, doctors, engineers, teachers, and their kids are very smart, very good. And and, and my daughter, is a, she's been honor student all her life. Okay? Mm-hmm. She's been like one of the toughest. But now she's like, I do, I, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to university. But they give, they, she wants to study business, for example. She says, she says, okay, I really don't need math. I need really, I don't, I don't need this. I don't need that. I don't need uh, uh, some psychology classes. If they, if, you know, some classes mm-hmm. they are required for, for, uh, for the degree. You know better than I, I do. Yeah. So okay. the thing is, and I'm trying the best. I, I tried last time, but I, I, I noticed that you know what? I just stopped it. I was like. You know, Robert, you're, you're doing you're doing horrible. Just you better stop and listen now. And and I remembered you. I was I'm gonna ask Dr. Alki, what would be your best advice for me? How I can deal with this? Okay, how I, yeah. What should I do? Well, I'll try. Um, I'll try my best too. Just like you were trying your best. We'll see what we can come up with. Uh, a few things come to my mind that I'll share with you, and then we'll get a little more into it. The first uh, uh, can, is yes. Can I add just one more thing? Yes. Only one more thing. She is very unorganized in her room, kid. Super, you cannot walk in her room. That's, mm-hmm. that's the, the second thing okay. uh, that I have problem with that. So maybe that is going to be better. Maybe, yeah, that's something about her. Um, we'll, we'll, I'll keep that in mind. Um, so a few things I wanted to share. One is, you know, I obviously need to know more about what's going on to, to give a full, you know, a, a, a di- not diagnosis, but even to tell you some of my thoughts. But the first ones that came to my mind, one is I'm... Well, first, I want to say, actually, don't try to convince her so quickly. So play the long game here. You know, she's having a thought, just like she might have also told you, I want to be a doctor. But that we don't know if that means she's going to be a doctor and we would sign her up for pre-med classes or something like that. So don't get too caught up in this. I got to convince her now, Uh, you know, it's or it's going to become something I, I would take a step back from that. But the other thing that came to my mind, just in how you're describing her, even you use the word successful for a 16 year old and she's picked for everything. She gave a speech. It, it could be that she's been so successful, done so well that it's created a pressure when it comes to academics and school that she's not really enjoying that part. Or when she looks forward or looks to the future, she doesn't look forward to that continuing so i'm wondering if there is this pressure to do well that could be affecting her wanting to make academics a big part of her life honestly uh it's 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 not a lot of pressure from us mm-hmm. but the thing is that the way that she presented herself in our community here in iranian community they're they're, they're like uh, you know, uh, uh, the the right the right English word for uh, for bashaxiat. I don't know what is in English. They all all these parents, all the even even her friends. They're 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 talking that if you want to talk about uh, the most bashaxiat person, she, it's her. Yeah, uh, but, and that she, I mean, I try to think of the way to describe that. Mm, yeah, but I mean, a certain way she carries herself or presents herself that they. Yes. Yeah, and so, but even that to me, you know, it it, it sounds good, but I'm feeling the sense of being perfect or not being bad in any way, which it actually could be a pressure too. So my first feeling was this sense of being 
having too much pressure, you know, the previous caller, this theme of perfectionism came up as well. But that's something I'm wondering, well, and if you feel like this pressure, and it doesn't mean you're putting a pressure on her, you could be you and, you know, her mom, but, uh, you know, there could be this pressure from herself of just doing well, or she's internalized it in some way. So it's not clear who's putting it on her. But I'm wondering if there is this, there's so much pressure to keep every time succeeding, do well, do well, do well, that can be a little bit overwhelming. And so it's easier to say, oh, you know, forget it. I actually don't want to go down that path I'll just figure out my own path and she could still be right look I mean she doesn't have to do that's another thing we we not only should you not try to convince her immediately um, or very quickly but you also want to leave her space that she has to find her own path at the end of the day so we can't push too hard that I'm going to get her to go to school because that's definitely the right way I encourage that and I think it can make sense and I hope she will go at least partially you know however far she wants to go but we can't put this way we have to convince her to do it our way either but I'm a little worried about the pressure she maybe has internalized from always being so good and even being seen a certain way and already having this reputation at 16 it sounds good but it could also be a lot of pressure to to be um, you know perfect in all ways you know behavior and uh, you know, school and all kinds of things. And it's interesting now the unorganized part, it could be almost like the way it's seen by everyone, um, you know, is good. And that's so important to make sure you're seen a certain way. But then internally, there could be a disorganization, just like you're saying in her room, there's a, it's very disorganized. So that's kind of a concern I'm having just based on some of these snapshots of things you're sharing is that there's a sense of presenting a really good and making sure no one sees you make a mistake uh, but maybe internally obviously feeling differently so so what would be the best answer for now for not her not to uh, i mean should just just leave her for now and let her to go to i mean do her 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 regular um school and just leave it like that and do not give her any advice for now well, I wouldn't, like I said, I, you know, pushing her, likely you're not going to convince her no matter what you say. If yeah. you say, you know, there's no, you can find her YouTube videos, you can find her, whatever it is, it's probably not going to convince her. As always, I'd want to understand more. Now she's saying these things about, you know, Elon Musk and there's different people that didn't go to school or they dropped out of college and became very successful. It is probably more the exception than the rule, but it does happen and it is possible. Um, so I'd want to understand what's going on. And that's why I was saying, is there an anxiety. And I wouldn't say it to her in this way because it might seem like you're telling her what she's feeling, but asking her more, trying to understand what she's, you know, thinking or feeling. And I do have this sense, I'd want you to think about this, an overall feeling of uh, perfectionism that she might have of how she presents. And so as a parent, it can feel very good. People tell you, oh gosh, your daughter, when we see her, we wish our daughter behaved like her, or acted like her, or talked like her, or whatever it is that people are telling you. I could get that it feels good and it sounds good. My concern is that it could be almost too much, like there's a pressure or she's presenting in a certain way. And maybe it's not that she's something so different, but that there's a fear of looking bad or not being perfect in public that could be affecting how she's feeling. And one more thing that I, sure. I just was remembering about her, uh, she gets, uh, if she tries something, let's say in math class, if she takes the math class and within the first two weeks, if, if, if she doesn't understand the subject, she's going to come, she's going to like, she's not going to even try anymore. Yeah. I don't like the, the math. I don't, I, I hate it. I, uh, yep. and then, and then what we, what we did, she had last two years ago, this, this thing, and we had some, um, uh, uh, places that, you know, the tutoring places. 
And we were so, so, so blessed that we find a person that she, she would understand her very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then now she's, she's doing perfect, very good in that. Yeah. But well, then she gives up very fast. Well, that, and that's the thing that relates. And I'm, I'm looking at the time. I just have, a, have about one or two minutes. So I'm going to try to give uh-huh. you whatever I can in this. But I wrote down, even as you started talking, fixed mindset, because I felt like that was something that's an issue and it relates to perfectionism so in a fixed mindset the feeling is that if i do well it's because i'm smart let's say in school rather than a growth mindset is i did well because i worked hard now the difference is if now you're taking a test and i tell you you did well because you're smart the next time you take a test you feel a pressure because you're like oh if i don't get an a that means i'm not smart or i'm not as smart as i thought but if you have a growth mindset if you don't do well you just say well i have to work harder I got an A because I worked hard. Next time, if I get a B, it doesn't mean I'm not smart. It just means I didn't work hard enough. And that's what I'm getting from you about her is this perfectionism is that uh, she wants to be perfect. And so if she can't do something, she then wants to give it up because it's like this. It seems like it's telling her proof that you're not good enough. You're not that smart. You're not that all those things that you know people say you are when it's actually the only way we're successful, even if she wants to drop out of college or not go to colleges you have to still work hard in whatever domain that you're in but it's hard work that gets us far not talent or smarts and so that's what i'm saying is the concern i have is that we have to be aware of it it can be hard to change she's 16 i mean there's a lot that can obviously change but being aware of that and looking at this perfectionism and even when people say she's so amazing and so this that almost could be not concerning but in making us think of well what is she not letting herself be or do or experience or this pressure that she's having it doesn't mean you and you know her mom are putting a strong pressure explicitly but maybe even unconsciously putting this pressure on her in different ways so that's my biggest concern even you can look that up you know it seems like you like to you know research some of these things maybe you already have uh, Carol Dweck wrote a book on it called Mindset. You don't have to necessarily even read the whole book, just kind of get those concepts. But that's my fear is that your daughter is the perfectionist. And even that could be part of just, I don't want to have to go through this path of constantly having to perform and have these chances of failing, which will feel so scary, or even not even failing, making a mistake. And that intimidation makes her want to give up. So that's why I mean, I wouldn't try to convince her at all. Take that out of your mind if I'm going to convince her she has to go to school. I would try to understand what she's going through and also look at what this might be telling us about her, which to me is more about the perfectionism and the pressure and the fixed mindset. And how can we help her? And we're not going to just change those. It's going to take time. How can we help over time make that pressure less so she can feel more comfortable in her own skin and comfortable making mistakes and not being so good? Not everyone has to see her as the best kid, the perfect kid. I do have to wrap up, but I wanted to share what I could with you. I appreciate everything. Oh, my pleasure. So nice talking. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. That brings us to the end of today's show. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Lakwi. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.